It's my pleasure to welcome Craig Peters to Community Church this morning. And uh, he is, has been a pastor for 30 years and graduated from Moody Bible Institute in Ashland Theological Seminary. He currently serves as the executive director of Equip Ministries International, helping to train leaders and pastors throughout the world. Uh, he is, has a wife and uh, they've been married for 30 years and three children. So please welcome with me, Craig Peters. Well, good morning, church. Uh, I think we can all agree it is good to be together. It is good to be alive. And it is good to be uh, uh, on mission for God and with God. Amen? Uh, so thankful to be here. Uh, appreciate Pastor Mike and just the opportunity to be able to come in. When I was coming in this morning, uh, an older uh, woman, she said, are you speaking this morning? I said, yes. She goes, you have hair. She said, you have hair. She goes, the majority of the time when someone preaches here, they don't have hair. I'm like, okay, well, so yes, and it's real. So I uh, uh, just wanted you to know that. So we're th we're, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be able to come in and just, uh, not just uh, uh, challenge you with what's going on in the world, but really challenge us with what God's word says. And so uh, you may know this, you may not know this, but there, there are three kinds of people in this world. Uh, those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who scratch their head and go, hey, what happened? Okay. Um, uh, God never intended for us to be people that just sat and watched things happen. And he certainly did not create us and design us to sit back and say, hey, what happened? He created and designed us to make things happen through his power and through his spirit. And so uh, we're so thankful for that. We know that because Paul in Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. And I am a firm believer that God has prepared some incredible opportunities for us. But sometimes we get so caught up in the here and now and our life and our agenda and our priorities that we miss the very things that God has set up and intended for us to be involved in. And so how many of you have heard within the last year somebody say, I have the best job in the world. I don't hear that too much anymore. But I certainly have the best job in the world as I serve as the executive director of Equip Ministries International. You say, well, what is that? Equip Ministries International has been around only since 2018. We train overseas pastors and church leaders that have very little of any Bible training at all. Now think about it. We live in an area where there is a Bible college or a seminary around almost every corner. Okay? But when you go overseas, that changes dramatically. Uh, they don't have a Bible college nearby. They don't have a seminary nearby. And so we're able to go into places all over the world and to be able to provide training for them so that they can grow, because we always say, who equips the equipper? Uh, they can grow, and then they can go back to their church and help them to grow. And so we are so thankful for that. So we are in Moldova. We are in Guatemala, the Dominican. Uh, we are in Honduras. We're in Cambodia, uh, Myanmar, and um, Thailand, and Kenmore. Just kidding about Kenmore. Uh, and so uh, I've been to Kenmore. That's the other most parts of the world. And so, um, but uh, uh, we are so thankful. And we, we provide materials and discipleship materials and doctrinal materials and all these different things that these pastors do not have in their own language. And they're able to take back and to see what God is doing in the church overseas has been absolutely incredible. We are seeing a harvest right now that we have never seen 
And it is just, I'm just so thankful to be a part of what's going on. Just got back a couple weeks ago from Honduras. Incredible trip. Uh, leaving Tuesday to go to Guatemala. Uh, we've got a picture here. This was in May. 125 pastors and church leaders uh, come, and some of them are walking two to three hours to come to a village where they are trained uh, for uh, uh, the day, and sometimes they're trained for a week. Uh, you'll see the one man in the other picture here who's in black. His name is Miguel. Figure that from Guatemala, Miguel. And uh, uh, Miguel, uh, if you knew Miguel two years ago, this guy can't even look at you in the eyes. He is so shy and so timid. And uh, someone said, yeah, Miguel's going to be the pastor of the church in this small little town. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this church is going to eat you alive. And I saw Miguel uh, in January. And he stood up and gave testimony of how God has been working in his life and what Equip Ministries has been doing and just challenged the other pastors in the area of personal growth, relationship with the Lord. And being, he said, my church is growing because I am growing. He said, I am learning things I've never learned before from God's word. And he said, the people in my church are growing now. And so I'm sitting in the front row and I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm crying. And I'm thinking, this is why we do what we do. And it's just been absolutely incredible of what has been going on. And so um, pray for us, if you would. Uh, out in the foyer, the first service took just about everything, but uh, there's some information in regards to equipment ministries. I did not come this morning to say, hey, we need help financially, okay? I came to open up God's word and to share with you not only a challenge from God's word, but that we would be reaching across the border. And what does that look like for us? So let me ask you this question. As you think through uh, uh, your life, and as you think through uh, just being challenged this morning, what motivates you to get up every day of every week, of every month, throughout every year, and do something that will make an impact, not just for today, but for eternity? If you think about it, we spend so much time keying in on things that don't matter, and don't change, and don't fulfill. God has given us one life, a precious life, to be used for his honor and glory. We waste so much time which the Lord has given us. Would you say this with me? I will not waste my life. I will not waste my life. Let's say it again. I will not waste my life. What will we do with the one and only life that the Lord has given us? What are we doing with that right now that will really matter at life's end? And so I want to just challenge you and encourage you of the tremendous joy of being involved in overseas missions or just being involved in missions right here and now in the Manchester area uh, of, of being able to advance the gospel for the glory of God. Because life passes by quickly, doesn't it? I mean, it is you thought, I'm always going to be young. I am always going to be young. And you're like, you wake up one day and you're like, I am not young. I am not young anymore. Like sand going through an hourglass, we find ourselves saying, man, where did the time go? When we should be asking, what did I do with that time? What did I do with that time that was significant? So consider this. 80% of your life will be forgotten. Give or take 10%, I can't remember. But 80% of your life will be forgotten. Not because it hasn't been good, but because it's been predictable, routine, mundane. 
You get up every morning, you run to the bathroom or shuffle to the bathroom, you do your thing. Some of us are working, the other service, many are retired. You got kids, you're getting them off to school now. There's all these things going on and we find ourselves getting into a routine and we will forget 80% of that. 80% of that. Because it's just been the same day after day after day. David said in Psalm 39.4, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. Is our life fleeting? Yes or no? Okay, about three of you said yes. I'll give you another run at it. Is our life fleeting? Yes, it is. James 4.14 tells us that our life is like a mist or like a vapor. It is here one moment and, and it's gone. We're not promised tomorrow. Well, why? We're not even promised all of today. And nowhere is this more evident than in Psalm 90. Meet me if you would this morning in Psalm 90. Now, as you're turning there in Psalm 90, this is a prayer of Moses as Moses is taking inventory of his life. And can I just share this morning, it is good that we take inventory of our life every once in a while to see where we're at, where are our priorities, how am I living, and am I really sold out for the gospel? Am I really sold out for Jesus Christ? So this is a prayer that Moses prays. It's a prayer not of death, but of life and living and purpose. It's asking the question, what significant impact will be made at life's end that really matters? Uh, how many of you have heard of this saying? It's not in how you start, but how you... That's a dumb saying. It's a dumb saying. I know we've been saying it for years, but it's really dumb. It's extremely important how you start. And it's extremely important how you end. And what you do in the middle here is paramount of whether or not you will honor and serve the Lord with your life. And so, uh, Psalm 90, verses 1 to 3, I just want to give you three important truths to consider as you take inventory of your life coming from this psalm. Notice what it says. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Just something to be keeping in mind as you take inventory in your life is recognize the eternal nature of God. Recognize the everlasting nature of God. That God is everlasting to everlasting. That he is sovereign. That he is in control. That according to Colossians 1, he holds all things together. He rules and he reigns. Moses is saying, Lord, you have always been. You are everlasting. Let's say that word everlasting everlasting. Uh, you are consistent. You are the same uh, yesterday, tell me, today and forever. You are a consistent God. Talk about inconsistency over the last year and a half. I mean, how many of you saw inconsistency? I mean, our world is going through an incredible time of inconsistency, of masks, no masks, social distancing, no social distancing, vaccinated, not vaccinated, plexiglass, no plexiglass. I mean, so inconsistent. And yet we serve the everlasting God who 
is able to rule and reign and be the one consistent factor in our life. When your marriage falls apart and you're, you're ready to strangle your kids with Christian love, you know, when, when you want to send them back to the orphanage, uh, you, you just think, Lord, you're consistent. Some of you are like, I know how you feel. I know it. I know it. He is the only consistent thing. And in the midst of so much going on in this chaotic world, we can lean in and we can trust in the everlasting arms of the Lord. The Hebrew word everlasting here means beyond the vanishing point. That God is working beyond the vanishing point, from everlasting to everlasting. And yet he's close enough that we can run to him. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to him and are safe. It's in the everlasting arms of God that we find purpose for living. And I think most of you would know that sitting here. That all of a sudden, when I understand the everlasting nature of God, his purpose becomes my purpose. And his plan becomes my plan. His, his perspective becomes my perspective. But without embracing the eternal nature of God, we continue just to live life for us rather than to live life for him. Notice it says, before the mountains were born and the earth took form, you are everlasting. His eternal nature extends backwards as beyond the vanishing point, And it extends forward into eternity. And then verse 3 reminds us that as one generation rises up, another generation returns to the dust. What does this have to do with missions? It has everything to do with it. This is a game changer here. Because when I understand the eternal nature of God, when I understand the everlasting nature of God in my life, it causes me to go from a secular point of view to a biblical point of view. And I begin to view things and see things and live with God and his presence in mind. If we are to have the everlasting nature of God saturating our soul, we, we live differently. We live differently. Even mentioned this morning, let's just not sing a song. Let's, let's believe the song. Let's sing it in such a way that it has bearing on our life. That all of a sudden, when I allow the everlasting nature of God to saturate my soul, I worship differently. I serve differently. I live differently. And I do those things for God in a way that will bring glory to his name. And that puts us on course to be on mission in our, our Jerusalem, our um, uh, uh, Judea, our, um, I know this, I'm waiting for you, our Jerusalem, our Judea, our, our uttermost parts of the world. It's not like I drew a blank. I know these things, okay? I'm waiting on you, okay? And all of a sudden, my life changes, and, uh, and that's why we say what motivates you to get up every day of every week of every month throughout every year and do something that would not only make an impact today but for all eternity because when I am understanding the everlasting nature of God, it has bearing on everything that I do. We always say as long as you have a pulse, you have a purpose. Would you do me a favor right now? Would you find your pulse? Go ahead and just find it. Just humor me. If you can't find your pulse right now, we have bigger issues this morning, okay? Every single person from this man over here to this man over here, we all have a pulse in here. But not all of us have a purpose. 
And God desires for us through his everlasting nature to give us a purpose in mind that far outweighs what the world can offer. So we understand the everlasting nature of God, what motivates me to get up every single day. The second thing that Moses is helping us to see as we take inventory of our life is in verses 4 to 6 and verse 9. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withers. This is talking about our life here. This is talking about when we were young, and now we're growing old and withered. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a bone. The second thing I'd like you to just consider this morning is just to recognize the brevity of life, the shortness of life. It goes by so fast. A watch of the night to the Hebrew people was four hours. But we're, it's this first statement that we're more familiar with. That a thousand years in your sight, Lord, is like a day that has flown by. You sweep men away like in a flood. If you've ever been to Cambodia, Myanmar, Thailand, when they have rainy season, literally people can be swept away because it is raining so hard for long periods of time. And Moses is saying, you sweep away people like in a flood. In the sleep of death, we're like grass that is renewed and flourishes in the morning because of the dew. But in the evening, it, it fades, it withers. The idea is that our lives are so temporary and he is spelling out for us that we're going to be held responsible for how we use those moments in life. Can we just stop for a second this morning? How are you using the moments of life? Let's not just check church off and say, been there, done it. But Lord, is there something you specifically want me to go or to do or to say? that will make an impact, not just for today, but for eternity. The brevity of life, it goes by so fast. The idea is how temporary our lives are. And to many of us, we think that we have all the time in the world. Uh, many of us remember when we were little kids, and we're like, I, I can do it all. I've got all the time in the world. God forgive us that that we still think, I I'll have time, I'll have time, I'll have time. And yet, God is the one that numbers our days. And when all is said and done, we've got to ask ourselves, was well, just more said or more done? I have a friend who got me onto a website called deathclock.org. Have you heard of it? Death clock. You put in your, your age, you put in your height, your weight, whether you're a smoker or non-smoker, you hit the button, and it tells you exactly when you're going to leave this earth. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. So be ready, because Friday, August 18, 2051, I'm leaving this earth. So deathclock.org tells me. We don't need deathclock.org to tell us when we're leaving this earth. We have the one that created the earth. We have the one saturating our soul that holds us in the palm of his hand, who knows and has appointed our days, our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our time on this earth is so brief. Our, our life doesn't just tell a story. 
it tells our story. So write a good one. Write a really good one of how God has worked in your life. Because I think most of us would realize life is a lot more than recreating, procreating, making deals, and dying. It's about, about the Lord rescuing us from our sins, redeeming us with his blood, and transforming us through his spirit. And then verse 9 says, All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. How many of you are familiar with the moan these days? You know what I'm talking about when you, yes, one person, the rest of you are liars. We know what the moan feels like, don't we? When we've been cutting wood or we've been painting or we've been outside working all day and that next day we get up and we go, oh, oh, and the next day, oh, and the next day, oh. We're all too familiar with the moan. This word moan, this Hebrew word moan is a great word. There are three Three possible definitions for this word that Moses gives us here in verse 9. And the first one is the moan of reflecting back on missed opportunities that we should have embraced. How many of you have had, a, had an opportunity to go somewhere, be with someone, do something, and you didn't take that opportunity, and then people came back and said, it was absolutely wonderful. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. And we, we regret, and there's the moan of, oh, I should have taken that opportunity. This is a picture here of us in Chiang Rai, Thailand. We're in the largest prison in Thailand, 4,700 prisoners, 1,000 women, 3,700 men. The people that come to this prison are going to be there for a long time. Uh, they just didn't break the speed limit. We're talking murderers. We're talking hardened criminals that are there. And we had just gone through about 10 days of training in Thailand. All these pastors from Thailand came in, and it was just an incredible time of training from sunup to sundown. And we had gone through the 10 days of training, and we had one day before we were going to fly back to the States. And I'm like, I'm just going to relax. I am tired. My body is tired. I feel the moan. And our partner from Thailand says, hey, we have an opportunity to go to this prison in Chiang Rai, Thailand to share the gospel. 4,700 prisoners. My mind said, yes, let's go. My body goes, don't even think about it. Don't even think. I was so tired. And I almost said no. And then I said, okay, let's go. I am so glad I went. In this picture are about 300 prisoners. These 300 prisoners have been in this prison for 30 days or less. So they are scared. They're afraid. They don't know what's going on. And they brought them in. The warden is a Buddhist, but his wife is a Christian. And she is seeing what's going on in the prison when people come in and share the gospel. And so I had the opportunity to address these prisoners. They all wear the same clothes. They all have the Mike Ribka haircut. Uh, you know, they, they, they are bald, and, but they're Buddhist, and Mike's not Buddhist, which is good. And so uh, well, they, all of them came in very respectful, and I'm sharing the gospel by way of a translator, and when I got to the end, I gave an invitation to come to know Christ, and about every hand went up. And I thought, no, he didn't translate that right. There's, there's no way that that many people could come to know Christ. So I went through the whole thing again. Sharing the gospel, you know, of what the Lord has done and how he can forgive us of our sin. How many of you would like to receive Christ? Boom, almost every hand goes up. And I'm like, wow, wow. 
And that day, almost 300 men received Christ. And to this day, yes, amen, amen. And we are providing discipleship material and Bibles to this prison. And what used to be a prison that was such hardened criminals, and they still are, revival has broken out in this prison. And there are prisoners discipling other prisoners. They're reading God's word together. And I am so glad I took the opportunity to go. Otherwise, there would have been the moan of reflecting back and regretting that I didn't go. This is a wonderful time right now to be sharing Christ with people. People are looking for hope today in our world. We always say, why is it so easy to go overseas and share Christ with someone, but it's very difficult in the United States? I just saw that when I was in Honduras. I worked at a medical clinic. I, I am not medical by any means. They needed a camp pastor. And I'm, we're, we're outside and there's this awning. And 140 people sitting there to get in for surgeries or get into the clinic. They're just sitting there and they're as quiet as you are. And I thought, what an opportunity. So I went out by way of a translator. I'm sharing the gospel. I wear a bracelet here that, that uh, is very easy to share the gospel. We give them all a bracelet. We give them all a Bible. The response is incredible. And then when I come back to the United States, I find myself really hesitating when it comes to sharing Christ with someone because I get this instead of this. The opportunity is there. The opportunity is there to reach across the border. And I don't know what the border looks like for you, but whether it's reaching across your street to somebody, reaching across the pew, or we would say reaching across the pond, the opportunities are there. So, well, how can I reach? What does it mean? And how can I reach across the border? Well, one is to just simply go. Have an opportunity to go on a short-term missions trip sometime in your life before you breathe your last that you would go. With a raise of hands, how many of you have gone on a short-term missions here? Okay, good, good. Before you take your final breath, commit to going on a short-term missions. And it may be still in Ohio. It may be somewhere in the United States. Some of you are like, there is no way I would do a short-term missions right now overseas. It is crazy. Hold on. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. We're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. Neither height nor depth nor length nor width, nothing can separate us from the love of God. I am going to Moldova in September. Moldova used to be strong communist movement. There's a sliver of land right beside Moldova. It's not even a recognized country called Transnistria. And it used to be that when you would cross over into Transnistria, there would be the old Russian guard there, Russian tank, machine guns, and we're going in there. And we're going in there in September, on September 14th, for two weeks. Am I afraid? Humanly? Yeah, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. But I know that God can take care of us. And the partner that we're, going, that we're with, he said, yeah, we'll take care of you. So we're trusting in that. But an opportunity to be able to go overseas or go regionally and do something for the Lord. Here's why. It will change your perspective forever. It will change your heart when it comes to world missions. You will never look at world missions 
the same again. Second is just to send, to support a missionary. You realize you support missionaries here, and you know how much a missionary appreciates you praying for them, uh, loving on them, uh, supporting them. But let me tell you something else that a missionary appreciates. That when they come into your church, they are known. I have gone into some churches that support us, and when I walk in, they're like, who are you again? Oh, I don't think we know you. I'm one of your missionaries. A card, an email, something to be able to say, you know what, we're praying for you. We love you. We're sending you out. And then we see spend. Um, financially, give to something that tugs at your heart. Give to something. Every one of us in here is different today. And every single one of us will hear a story and it will tug on our heart. Maybe it's giving flip-flops to kids in Haiti or uh, discipleship and doctor material to pastors in Cambodia. Uh, maybe it's uh, uh, being able to support a, a little kid in a third world country in Guatemala that I, I support. And the kid stole my heart. And I thought, I need to give because God has directed me in that way. Maybe it's a water well in Malawi, Africa. Been to Malawi four times, and we put in water wells. Well, we didn't put them in. Someone else put them in. Put them in. And when, uh, when you do a water well in Malawi, Africa, because they don't have clean water at all, the whole village comes out, 500 to 1,000 people, and they're pumping that well, and when that water comes out, all the ladies go, like that. I don't know why they do it, but it's contagious, okay? And, and they just are so happy. And so the water's coming out, and then we give them an opportunity to understand the living water of what's going on. All of these things, sometimes God stirs our heart, and we say, I want to give to that. Be obedient and be willing to say, I want to jump in and help. Whether it's go, send, or spend. There's that statement, um, if not you, then who? If not here, then where? If not now, then when? So when Equip Ministries began, we began a project called Go Light a Village, where everyone that comes to our training, we give them a Bible in their own language. And they are so appreciative of that. And we also give them a light to read it. We give them a solar-powered light. This light, you put it in the sun for a couple hours, it stays lit for 10 hours. When it gets dark in some of these areas, it gets really, really dark. They don't have clean water. They don't have electricity. And when you give them a solar-powered light, it does everything for them. When you walk out, you'll see a, uh, a picture and it will show one of these lights hanging from a hut. And there are 12 children that this pastor has taken in that are orphans. And when they put the light up there, it's the first time these children ever ate together under a light. It was the first time they ever were able to worship together their great God. Because when it gets dark, everyone just goes to sleep. And they were able to do this. They, they love this, but what I think they love about this even more is there's a, a cell phone charger right here. They can, 
they can charge their cell phones. Uh, they don't have clean water, they don't have electricity, but they all have cell phones. Uh, there's cell phone towers everywhere because the government gets some of that money. And so we hand these out and all of them are going, they're just loving it, you know? And so uh, we go light a village. It's for $20. It doesn't cost them $20, but for $20, we provide a Bible that they can read and a light to read it. We have given thousands of these away. And people have seen their life changed because of the reading of God's word. And they finally can read it at night to their family under a light like this. Those are the things that we talk about when we say the moan of reflecting or regretting that we didn't do something sooner. This other word moan that Moses is talking about is the moan of regretting that we didn't live our lives more fully for the glory of God, that we spent so much of our time focused on sinful living and selfishness. Some of you came to know Christ later in life, and you look back on your life and think, what was I missing? I was missing so much. I, there was so much I could have done. The moan of regret, regretting that we, we could have done things earlier and better. This man to your right, or I'm sorry, to your left, uh, that's a great shirt, by the way. Uh, his name is Sitan Lee. He is from Cambodia. Sitan Lee survived the killing fields. Now, that may not mean a lot to you, but where over 2 million people in Cambodia were killed by the Khmer Rouge army. He survived that as a young man. It was through that he came to know Christ. And Sitan Lee is one of our partners in Cambodia, and he's like the Apostle Paul. He's going out and he's sharing Christ all over the place. And a lot of people have heard of Sitan Lee. This man to your right at one time was involved in the Cambodian Mafia. Now, I've heard of the Italian Mafia. I've even heard of the Amish Mafia. But I've never heard of the Cambodian Mafia. This man is responsible for killing thousands of people. This man would get so drunk and beat his wife to the point where she would almost die tell her how sorry he was, and then would get drunk again and beat her up. This man had heard of Seton Lee and had heard that Seton Lee keeps sharing this gospel message and was so tired of hearing about Seton Lee that one night he was drunk, grabbed a machete, and said, I'm going to go find Seton Lee and I'm going to kill him. And found out that Seton Lee was on the second floor house where the stairs went up from the outside. He thought, I'm going to sit halfway up the steps with the machete in my hand. And when Seton Lee comes down, I'm going to kill him. I'm so tired of hearing about him and this gospel that he preaches. And he sat there. And he says he sat there, he could hear Seton Lee. And for the first time in his life, that man heard the gospel. And he realized his need for Christ. He realized he was in need of a savior because of sin in his life. And that man, holding a machete in his hand, bowed his head and received Christ and came to know Jesus. The crazy thing is these guys work together today. They are best friends. They love the Lord. That's what the Lord does when we open our hearts to him and allow him to work in a way that we could never, ever imagine. 
And then last, we see just the moan of, of, of reality, that our bodies are breaking down. You know, we, we're playing basketball with someone half our age, and we feel like we need to have a defibrillator strapped to our chest. And we're thinking, what am I doing? And just the moan of our bodies breaking down, that we've, we, we've accumulated more, more days behind us than we have in front of us. But also it speaks about how creation moans and longs for the return of Christ. Do you long for the return of Christ? I wanted him to come back yesterday. I would love for him to come back today. Even creation itself longs for the glory of God. All of creation longs for the glory of God to return. Again, it should cause us to ask, what motivates me to get up every day of every week of every month throughout every year and make an impact not just for today, but for all eternity? The third thing that Moses tells us here as we take inventory of our life is in verses 10 and 12. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. This is talking about a generation here, a generation of 70 years, that as we get older, uh, there seems to be more trouble and more ailments. He says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And friends, there's no mystery about it. We only get one life um, in so many years. God forgive us for thinking that we could just, we would be ready to do something someday. And this is that third point. Don't live with a someday mentality, but a this day mentality. Don't live with a someday mentality. How many times have you said that? Someday we'll go see them. Someday we'll go there. Someday we'll do this. Someday I'll get in touch with them. And that someday never comes. Verse 10, 70 years. Verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. How do we do that? By taking stock or inventory of our lives. We tell, uh, James tells us in James chapter 1 to get wisdom. Get wisdom. Proverbs tells us, get wisdom, though it costs you all you have, get wisdom. Because wisdom is the principal thing. That I may gain a heart of wisdom. There was a moment in my life several years ago where I took inventory of my life. Several years ago, I was in Hong Kong, and we were working with the underground church in China. And there were 90 underground church pastors that came into Hong Kong. It was safer for them to come into Hong Kong than for us to go into mainland China. We had spent a beautiful week together. We prayed together, ate together, cried together. We gave them all a John MacArthur study Bible in um, Mandarin. They are crying they want, they want me to sign their Bible. And I'm, I tell my lead pastor, I'm not signing their Bible. And he goes, I think they know you didn't write it, Craig, okay? It's okay to sign it because there was a connection there. And I was so gripped by these people, their love for the Lord, their love for God's word, and yet they still needed training that I went back to my hotel room that night and I said, Lord, if you want me at Maranatha Bible Church forever, I will be there. But Lord, if you ever desire something else for me, please, Lord, let me train overseas pastors and church leaders for the glory of God. 
And I felt like he answered that prayer before I even got off my knees that day. But we had to take inventory. I had to take inventory of my life. Every day is an opportunity to pull the covers off, jump out of bed and say, I get another day. I get another day to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who saved my soul. I had that opportunity that we rejoice not only at the life that he's given us, but also the opportunities that he has presented to us. That each day is an opportunity to reach across the border or reach into someone else's life. Not someday, but this day. And so this is so convicting to me because Maybe it is for you too, because I think about how many years I wasted by moping and complaining and, and uh, whining over things, making life about me, when it could be so much about God. How many of you remember uh, reading Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life? Yeah, do you know what the first four words are in that book? It's not about you. As much as we'd like it to be, it's not about us. It's about the Lord working through us. Because I learned a long time ago not to do things for God. You heard me right. I learned a long time not to do things for God, but to do things with him. And that has made all the difference in the world. See, if I just do things for God, I don't know if I'm doing too much or too little, but when I do things with him, we go together and we grow and learn and see God's plan unfold in our life. To have a heart of wisdom is knowing what to do and when to do it and how to do it. To honor the Lord. May we honor his great name by reaching across the border in some way with the time that we still have remaining. Warren Wearsby, great man of faith, pastor, has gone home this, to be with the Lord, said this, it's not the length of life that counts, it's the depth of life. It's not important how strong we are in ourselves, but how strong we are in God. So let me ask you this question. How many times are we going to continue to say someday? Someday I'm going to really engage with my spouse and my kids. Uh, someday I'm going to go on a short-term missions trip. Uh, someday I'm going to get rid of that sin that continues to haunt me. Uh, someday, someday I'm going to share Christ with someone. Someday I'm going to forgive that person I've been holding a grudge against. Or someday I'm going to put my trust in Christ. And sadly, that someday never becomes this day. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of opportunity because the days are evil. Friends, do we live in evil days? Yes or no? Yeah, we do. We live in evil days. But be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Making the most of every opportunity. So would you consider this? What if this were the last year for you on this earth? That gives us roughly 131 days to the end of the year. How would our life change? How will it be different uh, what would we start? Uh, what would we do right or make right? What would we do for God if we weren't afraid to live with his purpose in mind? Only what life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Will last. 
there's a good, there's good, good chance that you'll probably never go to Cambodia or Moldova or Guatemala or Honduras. I don't know. But sometimes the impact that we can make are small impacts that makes a big difference. Sometimes it's the little thing that we say or it's the card that we send or we're obedient to the voice of God that we think, okay, I'll do this, but we don't see the impact that it makes. So one of our partners is in Myanmar, which used to be Burma. And uh, he went out one day um, way out into the village. And it was a strong Buddhist community. And he went out with those small little New Testaments, you know what I'm talking about, by the Gideons in Burmese. And he was handing these people these small New Testament Bibles. And people were very receptive. And they were taking them, very appreciative. And he did what he felt God led on his heart. And he went back. About a month later, he went back to that village and a man recognized him and walked up to him and said, hey, do you have another Bible that I can have? And our partner said, well, what'd you do with the first Bible I gave you? And the man goes, uh, I smoked it. He said, you what? He said, yeah, I smoked it. He said, those little pieces of paper are great for rolling up cigarettes. He said, yeah, I smoked it. And the guy's thinking, I've heard of people being on fire for the word, but never smoking the word. And he said, I'll tell you what. He said, um, I'll give you another Bible if you promise me you'll read it before you smoke it. And the man said, yes. Friends, that man read through the entire New Testament and could not bring himself tearing one page out of that Bible. And when he got to the end, he received Christ as his Savior. And today he has a huge impact in that Buddhist community. And God is doing a work in his life that he could never believe. Something so small of giving out a Bible, who would have known the impact that would be made? Just in case you missed it this morning, what motivates you to get up every day of every week, of every month, throughout every year, and do something that will make an impact, not just for today, but will make an impact for eternity? That's what God desires for us right here, right now.